Hi. Jackie bit me in the stomach last night. Hard. So I'm, I'm kind of fresh off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how's Jack? How's Jackson? You might ask. Well, he bit me in the stomach and <laughs> I screamed so loud. It shook the, the chandelier. Uh... Yeah, and we have these neighbors upstairs. They're adorable. They're brand new. They're a young couple from New York City, and they are um, both physician's assistants. And I want them to think we're normal down here. Uh, but we're not, because Jackie, in his moment of self-expression, he was just expressing himself, bit my stomach. Now, the fact that there's enough stomach to bite is also harrowing and awful. Um, but he bit it hard. He was mad at me because I wouldn't let him clean a bowl that was full of spinach uh, with a sprayer in the sink. And I screamed really loud. I didn't, I didn't know what to do because he hasn't bit me since he was like two. Now he's four and uh, still biting. And uh, so I sent him to his room. <laughs> like to what? Think about what you did. But anyway, um, so I was angry and I try to teach him that when someone's angry with you, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It just means that they need a little space. It's okay to be angry. So he's like, Daddy, are you still angry with me? And I would say, yes, I am. I am still angry and I need a little space. And then he said, Daddy, I'm sorry I bit your... <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> he said really quietly, Daddy, I'm sorry I bit your penis. <laughs> and then he walked away. And I was like, oh, no. Well, how do we clarify this? Like... What's the teacher going to say? Jack, you look a little blue today. <laughs> well, I got in trouble last night because I bit my daddy's penis. What? No, that was my stomach. My stomach. We have we have stomachs. We have penises. They're not the same thing. Oh, my God. Daddy, I'm sorry I bit your penis. <laughs> yeah, I would be too. But guess what? That's not what happened. CPS, they're going to be here any minute now. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, I almost let the stomach biting episode or incident um, distract me from what I really want to do today. Uh, first, I want to say, hey, babe, it's me. It's it's March. Uh, Frankie starts uh, school today at the UB Child Care Center, also known as UBCCC at the University of Buffalo. Uh, he wore the same little outfit that Jackson did, a little bow tie. We'll see how long that lasts. And uh God, he, I just want to eat that kid up. He's so cute. So Frankie's great. He's easy, easy breezy. Jackson bit my stomach. Eric is good. He starts back at work today, too. My parents are good. They're just fine. You know, I, I tell everyone that I will look back on today and say that was things were good then they get around their house they are they're lucid they're they're able to take care of themselves pretty well uh it won't be this way forever so i'm not going to complain i'm going to take it day by day they're fine my parents are fine they're fine <laughs> they're not what they used to be but they're fine i don't think about that so anyway uh a little bit enough about me <laughs> there's a little bit more about me uh, did you know I had a blog that was sort of successful? Uh, I was uh, a prolific writer. I love to write. I wrote almost every day. And uh, the, the blog was called Me on a Diet. And it started off when I was uh, just towards the end of my 38th year. So that was mid-2010. And I was I got a great idea from my Weight Watchers leader at the time, my the beloved Linda D'Agostino. 
And uh, she said, we're on a road trip. And I just ran with that. So it's, it was a road trip to turning 40. Um, and road trip, you can get a million metaphors out of a road trip, right? The road is bumpy. Sometimes it's rainy. You have friends along in the car. Sometimes you're driving alone. Sometimes you're asleep at the wheel. I could go on and on. So so this road trip to 40 was me getting healthy and not being fat when I turned 40. And uh, just a spoiler alert, it was a success. I lost uh, about 30 pounds uh, and I ran my first 5K when I was 40. I, I don't think I was ever more in love with myself <laughs> than when I turned 40. Uh, and this this was, uh, I had some followers. People really enjoyed reading uh, my thoughts, I guess, and, and how I was doing. So I infused a ton of pop culture. Uh, I infused lots of humor. Did, uh, do I even use the word infused ever? I infused. What am I saying? I put in uh, a lot of uh, advice and uh, I really I got kind of confident toward the, the middle of, of writing uh, this, this blog, Me on a Diet. A road trip to turning forty. So um, it's it's good stuff. I wanted to make it into a book. Um, I feel like I had this talent that flared up and then sort of burned out after I was uh, in uh, the psychiatric facility, Brylin, <laughs> in 2013. I kind of I came out of there healthier and not wanting to write anymore, and so I sort of stopped after that. So I got about three years out of this. Uh, out of this blog, which is which is pretty good. Uh, so I'm going to read to you today the best of me on a diet. And I, I yesterday I went through. I read the whole thing. Oh, how I laughed! I, I may have cried a little bit. Some some sad ones, but I um, I really wanted to share these with you. They're bite sized. So if you're a, a regular listener <laughs> and you want to listen to one or two while you're in the shower. That's cool. If you want to listen to 10 of them while you're driving to, uh, you know, your destination, maybe you're on a road trip of your own, you can listen to them. They they should stand alone. They shouldn't need a lot of explanation. Uh, and uh, I might have to frame a few of them with some explanation, but mostly no explanation needed. And you just enjoy. You're going to laugh. Maybe you're going to learn something. I really am proud. I'm very proud of my writing. Um once in a while, I'll get a skill that will flare up and then it burns out. For instance, caricaturas. Yes. When I worked at Epcot Guest Relations, there was sometimes little to do with the help desk. So I started drawing caricatures of uh, my coworkers. And they were turning out really good. Like, you really captured their essence, Sean. Draw one of me. So before you know it, the whole wall behind us was covered in caricatures, or as my coworker Christina called them, caricaturas. <laughs> she spoke eight languages. But yeah, I, I was known for my caricaturas, and I would draw the caricatures of people, and they're like, I bet you can't do me. And they'd be like, well, goddamn, you did it. Look at me. Uh, and then someone asked me, do you, are you a, a caricature artist? And I said, no, I have no idea where this is coming from. I just, I had this sudden talent to do caricatures that were dead on of a certain group of people. And then when I left, I never drew another caricatura. So much like... The, I just love saying caricatura. Much like them, uh, I wrote for three years and then I stopped. So now I do a, a podcast where I talk. Talking is something that uh, I do well and a lot of 
So without further ado, here are some of the best bits from me on a diet. And uh, I'll pause in between. I don't know what I'm going to do in between yet. A pause or a bell, will a bell ring? So you know when the next one is starting? Probably not. But uh, I'm just going to launch right into it. So here's the first one. This one's called Circuit Breaker. Note to all Buffalo Athletic Club trainers, when you see a chubby guy reading a workout plan from a piece of paper while struggling to stay atop a giant medicine ball, do not approach him. In fact, back up and turn around. This man does not want to talk to you or shoot the shit with you. He is dying inside and wants to be invisible. This is someone who is clearly uncomfortable and nervous, especially if he is reading from a printout and rolling all over the fucking place. Not the time to make new friends or sign up for shit. Today, I went to the BAC and brought with me a very simple 20-minute circuit, in quotes, training that I printed off the Weight Watchers e-tools. It is not complex unless you have not been to the gym for a thousand years. Then suddenly, it's rocket science. The whole gym experience skews me out a little. First of all, there is always someone who stinks in the cardio room, so I gotta walk through that. Then there is the locker room. This is always a game of no talkie, no eye contact for me. Often, I see old men whose balls are literally hanging to their knees. Oh, gravity, you are a cruel mistress. So I go to the intimidating free weight room where I can follow the five steps in five steps in circuit training for dummies. I had it in my hand. It involved squats and that big ball and some dumbbells. How wrong could that go? Well, let me tell you how wrong. That room was full of douchebags chatting away like they were at a club. There were so many people on the mats where the floor work occurs that I stepped over a few of the douchebags grunting on the floor and grabbed a ball and found a section of empty space. Oh, they were also playing what seemed to be Japanese death metal to liven up the mood. And this was like 7.15 a.m. I did a few squats and some fly dumbbell moves, and then I tried that ball. Oh, what a fat man rolling off a ball in the middle of the BAC must be conveying. Was it, come over and start talking to me. I want to buy a package right now. Or maybe, I have so many friends that would love to come with me to see me fuck this up. I hope someone comes over to me immediately and asks me who would be interested. It was neither. So as I read off this giant paper and rolled about, this tool named Paul hovered over me and said, what you working on, bud? I said, oh, just this circuit thing I got from a Weight Watchers website. How's that working for you? Did you know that people that work out with a buddy are 38% more likely to succeed without a buddy? Uh, It's a circuit routine, so I really shouldn't stop. Looks like you're struggling. Hey, what is the best number I can reach you at to check in with you from time to time? Look, douchebag, I am fat and I am uncomfortable, and the sound of my own negative self-talk is drowning out the speed metal soundtrack you have playing in here, so back the fuck up. Don't prey on the weak. You're an asshole, and I hate you. Okay, that last line was fabricated. It is what I wished I said. It is what I felt in my heart. Instead, I told him I was pretty new at this and wanted to try it by myself and blah, blah, blah. Too nice. Get away from me. I actually fled the room altogether and got on the lame treadmill. I was on it for about 20 minutes when I saw yet another tool with a clipboard coming at me. He had another victim in his sights on a treadmill nearby. 
How's your workout going today, pal? I heard him ask. Oh, Jesus. I hit stop, jumped up, and got the hell out of there. I do not remember them coming on so strong in the past, but I really felt bad about the whole thing. I should make a giant button to wear that says, Already heard your shitty spiel. Or, please leave me alone. I hate it here enough as it is. Perhaps a bold iron-on for my t-shirt. At least I went. I do not fit in in a gym. Not yet, anyway. I spent more time dodging these chumps than actually working out. Next time, I will pretend to be a foreign exchange student. Or, have the stones to tell them to leave me alone. Foldums! This little cookie will be a crowd pleaser for young and old alike. My friend Kelly's kids made them for us one time, and we fell right in love. They are made out of Remain Calm cake mix. Yup, no lie. Oh, they ain't healthy. Give yourself about three points for each foldum. Where do they get their fun name from, you ask? Well, the first time I made them, apparently, I could not believe that you used cake mix. <laughs> it's not like you use liver or tomatoes. It's just cake mix without the water and one less egg. No big deal. I, however, could not believe in my wildest imaginings that this was true, so I threw the water in just to be an asshole. Well, when the cookies emerged, they were soft. Little flat cakes. Nothing like the cookies we fell head over heels with at Kelly's. When I served them to our guests, it was a hot mess. Everyone was struggling to get the large, cakey flats into their maws. I was so embarrassed. They were all acting like they were awesome, but I knew the truth. I fucked up the cookies. After a while, I could look no longer and yelled, You know what? Fold them! And cram them in your mouth. It'll be easier. Just fold them. And so, the foldum was born. These sweet treats are damned easy to make and fun to say out loud. Foldums! The next time I made them, minus the water, I worried that people would wonder how they had changed. I said things like, new look, same great taste, to reassure them. Now, all of our friends are crying out for foldums. I get texts that simply say, Foldums as a query, or Foldums as a harsh demand to make them. Eric will get home and say, Babe, are those Foldums I smell? Even Kelly's kids, the very inventor of Foldums, have embraced it. I am making them right now. As I write, the smell of them fills the air. The next best thing to hearing all of my friends cry out for them is eating the dough like a savage out of the bowl in secret. Tonight, I did not. If you only knew how hard it is for me to resist, you would hug me. Say it. Scream it out loud. Foldums! This one is called, What's in Room 237, Mr. Halloran? It's a reference to the movie The Shining. Funny story about Terry, the woman who takes our cards in the morning at the BAC. I love her. She's bold and brazen and makes no sense that she works at the BAC. This morning, it was so good to see her at the sad hour of 7 a.m., She's making me laugh so hard, and I always try to get her going. A while back, she said to me with a judging look in her eyes, I'm sure you noticed the sign saying the sauna isn't working. Want to know why? Before I could tell her I could care less, she continued, Since you men can't seem to control yourselves from peeing on everything, we had to get a new circuit breaker because someone let loose on it. What? She continued, We may never figure out who did it. Hell, it could have been you. You're a man. <laughs> this was just about the best exchange I have ever had. Terry, seriously, do you actually think I would piss on the circuit breaker in the men's locker room sauna? 
She snapped back, oh, honey, how the hell would I know? I don't know you that well. I just wanted to hug and kiss her. The gym in the morning is like an open cast and call for Cocoon. People say things in the locker room about Obama being a dictator, laying in wait, or how they miss being young and seeing all the pretty girls in bikinis. This is real shit that these people are saying. Really, was that what your life was like? A cavalcade of hotties? I think not, dudes. They say all of this buck-ass naked, too. And so help me, Jesus, I cannot handle it. They simply have no shame. One old guy was bent over, shuffling through his duffel bag, ass up, right in my face. I laugh because I have seen my share of porn set in the gym, and every time they are in a locker room, well, let's just say there is no place less sexually charged than the BAC at 7.30 a.m. Seriously, cocoon auditions. Terry and her sass and the low energy of the place in the morning are just my style right now. I'm so glad I went. I figured that this will be my Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine for a while. Many of the men in the room look like that old woman who cackles out of the tub from room 237 in Kubrick's The Shining, but I can't get past that. I would trade the PM hard sell tactics for that site any day. And that, my friends, is saying something big about where I am right now on this road trip. Just me and the old ladies cackling from room 237. I feel right at home. Next up. Who's the fat lady with the heavy brow and all the hair? Now Voyager is one of my favorite movies. The story of an ugly duckling turned swan was actually a film that I saw as a child. Like most young boys, Betty Davis was sort of an obsession with me. Like most boys. My dreams were always, always of emerging as someone else when I entered a room. One time I thought I would emerge as Donna Pescow and everybody would love me. (laughs) Look that one up. Most of the time, it was Betty Davis. I used to visualize the surprise on the faces of my classmates when I arrived at school wearing an Ori Kelly gown and smoking a cigarette. I imagined that they all would clamor to be my friend, sit next to me at lunch, and of course, stand in line to admire my glamour. No one needs to tell you that none of that happened. So I would lose myself in this movie, now Voyager. Ugly Aunt Charlotte goes to a sanitarium and comes back ready to board a cruise ship to Brazil and fall in love. And in giant hats, too. The reveal sequence had me on the edge of my seat. When she realized she was in love with married Paul Henriade, I used to say the line, You see, no one's ever called me darling before, along with the new and improved Charlotte. I wanted that more than anything in my little world, to be called darling. Again, I was a little touched, to say the least. This movie was sort of a premonition for me, my coming out. My transformation going from fat and invisible to suddenly attractive and wanted to be pursued by people. I had only known then what it really meant when I lost about 75 pounds the first time on Weight Watchers. Being thin did not spare me from anxiety and sleepless nights and getting dumped. Even thin people get dumped. I was in shock. I was so proud and happy for Charlotte in this movie. I was also jealous. She did in the movie what I wanted to do in my own life transform, to become someone else, be loved by one special person. I felt this at 13 and 33. People treated her differently as the transformed Charlotte. I wanted that for me. I remember when the uh, purser asks her on the boat, is it Miss or Mrs? And she replies, it's Aunt. Poor Aunt Charlotte. During my life, I have reinvented myself a thousand times, sometimes daily. 
I went from poor Aunt Charlotte to the stunning Camille Beauchamp she pretends to be. I'm not saying I don't know that wanting to become someone else is unhealthy and that endlessly striving to be thin and a better version of yourself is wrong in a way. I know. I really do know. It's going to be hard to break this way of thinking. This is an old, old pattern for me. Almost as old as Now Voyager itself, which came out in 1942. My hope is that by the end of this road trip, I am happy with what emerges, with what I become. Charlotte doesn't end up with the guy in the end. She learns that sometimes when you shoot for the moon and don't make it, the stars you end up with in your pockets along the way aren't that bad. I hope I feel the same way. This was my senior quote, by the way. How gay was I? The untold want by life and land ne'er granted. Now, Voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find. It's Whitman. Honey, who makes the best sauce? My mother, Grace, actually asked me this in front of her three Sicilian sisters while pointing at herself with a wooden spoon. Subtle. Honey, who makes the best sauce? People who live to eat, as opposed to eating to live, like my Sicilian family, take these questions very seriously. These questions have teeth and consequences, too. Jar sauce? We shkiviat at the mere thought of it. My mother, by her own admission, was never really a mom who cooked. She was used to working for years before I was born, and the whole meals thing just never really caught on. Oh, but the sauce was something she could do, and mamma mia, can she make a nice sauce, or sugu, as we call it. She and her sisters can literally talk for hours about how my grandmother, or mama, used to make it. Mama always used pork, Anne. Mama never measured, Grace. Gloria, your meatballs are harder because you use that extra egg. <laughs> I swear this goes on forever. They say these words with ire and venom in their voices, pointing arthritic fingers at each other. There's a defiant pride, reverence, and righteousness peppered in too, just for good measure. One time, my mother told me she used to taste the meatballs from my grandmother. I was the taster! She always tells me this story more than once during the holidays. Grace has a demi-tear in her eye. This was a big deal to be the taster, apparently. The kicker in the story is that she tasted it raw. Raw. What? My mother insists she lived to be 75, so who cares? I let her know about disease and bacteria, but she gave me the crook eye. My cousins will also sit and discuss sauce differences. Your mother's is a bit sweet, or Aunt Grace makes it closest to my mother's sauce. <laughs> uh, one year, we imagined that we could put all of our moms in their aprons on a dais and have a great sauce cook-off. All caps. It would be a blind taste test, and the winner would be declared the maker of the best sauce. We thought this may cause more fights than the meeting of the five families, so we canceled it. We really did. The thought of our moms up there stirring away in their Cecilia aprons was appealing, though. Seriously, we give these conversations more gravity and tenor than they do in the Situation Room of the White House. Food, for me, is something to live for. An amazing meal. The Sugu! That is one thing that makes having to count points, our oints, plan, and think so much really hard. Have you ever seen the movie Big Night? I think of the movie Big Night with my imaginary boyfriend, Stanley Tucci. Other movies that are literally food porn, like Babette's Feast or Chocolat, get you moaning and groaning. You can measure who makes the best sauce, and also if you are a live-to-eat person, by the intensity of your groans while you're eating. I'm sure that in your families, there is the equivalent of the sacred sauce. Pop's potato pancakes, Graham's pierogies, Auntie's greens. 
It's food like these that tie us to our history and take us back to our childhoods and give credence to this statement. Machi frega, manja. I don't give a shit. Eat. Loosely translated. Okay, this one's very important. You're going to learn something here. It's called At a Crossroads. I find myself at a crossroads, or at least eating them. The crossroads are the name I give the places on a layer cake where the frostings all meet up. Some cakes have one beautiful crossroads, and others have more. In my life, I have whacked forks out of people's hands, moved my plate very quickly away from loved ones, and even eaten other people's crossroads when they aren't looking. This I mostly do at weddings. I do not give a fuck. The crossroads of a cake are like the closest thing to nirvana here on earth I can find. So cut to me on Mother's Day. We met up at Carabas, another dieter's dream, and I didn't know there was going to be cake after dinner. When my dad said, we're going back home for cake, I literally acted like he said, your mother and I have brought a third person into our relationship just to spice it up. What? What cake? I felt betrayed. Dad, you didn't tell me about cake. Usually you tell me, or at least call. Remember, I'm on a diet here. Mom, did you know there would be a cake? My mother said, I told your father not to make one, but he did it anyway. She seemed sort of pissed, which was baffling and sort of validating, too. Telling me on a diet that there is cake is a terrible thing. Much like telling a cokehead that there's just a little toot left back at the house, but don't touch it. I ate my whole dinner deciding about whether or not to have a piece of cake. Do I have the points? Will it have a crossroads? Sometimes, to be honest, my dad will chintz out and make a cake that is, gasp, one layer. A shitty sheet cake? I prayed to the Lord Jesus and all the saints that this was a sheet cake. I can turn that down with far more aplomb than a crossroads riddled dream. No offense to the sheet cake. I'm sure you're nice and all, but I'm just not that into you. Check this one out. One crossroads, but look at all that frosting glopped onto the side. Shangri-La! Again, to review, and just so it's clear with everyone, the crossroads is where the middle frosting line separating two layers of cake hits the back wall of frosting. You can eat the whole cake, sort of spiraling around the crossroads until it's the only thing left. Seriously, I bet people have used this part of a cake as their muse. This is muse material, y'all. Some friends will or used to tell me that there would be a nice cake and that there were two, three, etc. crossroads just so I could decide whether to show up or not. One time I knew there'd be a cake at work, so I drew a diagram of a cake and labeled the crossroads for my coworkers. I circled the crossroads and wrote things like no and off limits for easy reference if we ever ate cake together. In life, when I find myself at a crossroad, I eat it. This one is sort of topical because I recently just got a brand new CPAP machine that was like $800, but it it like almost tells your fortune. It's so automated. But this is when I first got one. This is called Make Mine Al Dante. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I have five key, five keywords for you. Dents in my fucking forehead. I spend the better part of the morning trying to rub these dents out of my forehead. I put Kiehl's lotion on it and hope for the best. Sadly, the lotion is called facial fuel, not get those dents out your damn forehead. So basically, it's all for naught. 
The dents come from the CPAP machine I have to wear so that I don't die in my sleep. Basically, CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. I hate all those words. This machine allows me to remain sharing a bed with my sweet Lily and to dream. When you have sleep apnea, basically, you don't dream because you gag yourself awake about every other minute. I have been sleeping with this shit strapped to my face for about two years. Here, take a look at how awesome I look with it strapped to my fucking face. Just imagine it. Hot, right? I wrapped the cord around my neck for flair and dramatic effect. That's not how it really goes. But it's also symbolic. If I was not a very overweight person, I could sleep free and easy, carefree, and unsaddled by this monster that is a hot, sweaty, gross mess. Yes, look at me. Sex on a stick. This is a great surprise if you are at a sleepover or sharing a hotel room with people who have never seen one. Once I scared a friend who literally thought a succubus had latched onto my face in the night. He was sort of right. The only difference is that I was the one who strapped the succubus on of my own free will. Looking at this, I'm trying to make it cool somehow. I look like a marine biologist about to go on a dive. Look, I'm an astronaut about to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. A coal miner? Unfortunately... It is just me, a man who has sleep apnea, most likely because of the fact that I'm about 60 pounds overweight. I went for a sleep study, and the place was really cool. It was set up like a hotel and had ironic, kitschy movie posters, all with a sleep theme. Bedtime for Bonzo was one of them. Sleeper, Woody Allen's hit, was another one of them. So, just when I was thinking it was not so bad, a mean-looking, mannish nurse named Cheryl came in to give me the drill. Sleep, snore, we strap the mask on you. She also gave me this quick summation. You're more than 25 pounds overweight, weak chin, thick neck. Yep, bet you're a candidate. (laughs) You sure do know how to sweet talk a guy, Cheryl. I wish that I could have thrown myself out the window of the sleep clinic, but sadly, the curtain covering the window had no window behind it. It was a facade. This is not a real hotel room, fool, it seemed to taunt. Anyway, about an hour in, I stopped breathing and started snoring like a chainsaw, and good old Cheryl came in and strapped on the muzzle. I actually heard her say to someone in the hallway, coldly, he's a mouth breather. So hot. The machine cost $800, and my insurance paid for half. I sort of thought that if I was to be doomed with sleep apnea, the least they could do was give me the machine for free. Nope. The first three weeks considered of me waking up in the middle of the night with the terror of realizing this thing was on me. I would swat it off, and one time, I screamed like a little girl. The secret was to tighten the strap so that no air would leak out and hit Eric in the eye. Guess what? The straps that are tight equal huge dents, note to self, in my forehead. My hope is that these dents are not permanent. (laughs) They're not. Jesus, I hope not. Another hope is that using this hideous machine is not something I must do for a lifetime. Guess what? It is. When you have sleep apnea, you wake up so much that you don't even really dream. I do dream now and sleep well. I am rested during the day and don't take a million naps like I used to. I have vim! My dream is to be off this goddamn machine by the time I am 40. Much like Rock Hudson and Doris Day, I want to jump into a big pillowy bed and fall asleep naturally, laughing and chatting the night away. Like normal people do. People without dents. For now, I remain El Dante. Next up, fish out of water. I wish I was more comfortable naked. Never is this sentiment more vital than when I am at the gym. 
if you could see these dudes walking around naked as a jaybird, carrying on full conversations about a myriad of non-nudity topics, you would plots. Men shaving naked. Men drying their bodies with the hair dryer. Yeah, naked. Men blotting their entire bodies with paper towels from the dispenser. <laughs> naked. And these men are something special. Today, honest in Jesus, I saw a man whose stomach was resting on the counter in front of the mirror. I give up. When I left the gym this morning, I had my brief but important wrap-up conversation with my beloved Terry at the front desk. She gives us our membership cards. These men have no shame, Terry. Disgusting, I barked out at her when I left. Well, that's because most of these old guys probably swam naked in gym class all through school, and they could give a shit about it. They're just used to it. Pigs. <laughs> This is not the first time I've heard about this naked swimming phenomenon in elementary and high school before. The first time I heard about it was when I was on a presentation panel of LGBT folks, and there was an intersexed woman, that's born, somebody born with ambiguous genitalia, who described the horror of naked swim as a person with ambiguous genitalia. Well, just when I thought I had it bad in school, holy shit, there's something you just about never think of. I remember saying to her, what do you mean you swam naked? Like, all the boys were naked? Yep, that's what she meant, poor thing. Okay, as a man who went to an all-boys Catholic high school and just about pitched a tent in every class at some point or another, this would have been the end of me. I would have fainted from arousal, hit my head on the tile floor, and bit it. Rest in peace. The other day, I asked my dad if he ever heard of this atrocity that befell our nation during the mid-20th century. You know what he said? Yup, we all swam naked, even in the seminary. Seriously? Women were also victims of this strange combo of homoeroticism and sheer terror. My friend Sally said that in high school in West Seneca, they swam naked in the 70s. This is way too close for comfort, as I was in high school just a decade later. Dodge that awkward panpubescent bullet, huh? Another friend said that the boys swam completely nude, but the girls, they wore standard issue hole-covered, hole-covered cardboard bathing suits that were color-coded by size. I don't know what hole-covered means. I'm just going to leave it in there. So the fat girls were easily identified by their hue. How did people's, psyche, people's psyches ever recover from this? I didn't blog this, but my friend Jimmy said that when he went to Maryvale High School, their gym teacher used to make the boys bend down and touch their toes naked once or twice a year to check for scoliosis. Come on! What the fuck? I have some questions. Um, was this legal? No one thought, hey, maybe they should be wearing swimsuits. I know that they had them. I've seen pictures of it, uh, people in about 1900 into the 20s wearing onesie bathing suits made of wool. These didn't translate at all to the pools where children were swimming. Did they just have teachers sign up for the sex offender registry? Checking for scoliosis. The minute they were hired, just to get that out of the way. I mean, what the fuck? In Europe, I know that people do not give a shit. They are absolutely fine with their naked selves. When I lived in Florida, I actually went to the nude beach all the time. It took months to work up to it, and even when I could shuck my drawers, I was in the most isolated part of the beach. This beach was primarily inhabited by old people, so I was just about the hottest thing there. Sure, I would love to be able to rock out with my cock out like these cocoon cast-offs, but there is a sense of reasoning and excellent judgment that stops me every time. 
Maybe I could take a wrinkled page out of their books. They could not care less about who they are or how they look. They are clearly comfortable in their own skin. And that is way more than I can say for my own thoroughly shrouded self. I mean, look at the picture below. It's of a million people swimming naked. If I had grown up in a time or place where this tableau was in any way possible, as a gay man, I would be the most well-adjusted old dude on the planet. Holy Toledo! Oh, this one reminds me of my parents. It's called The Barrel Cracked. All right, what in the fuck is up with Cracker Barrel? I was there this week at the request of my mom and dad, who love the CB. They go on these odd bus trips for seniors, and inevitably, the bus bound for Branson or the Black Hills ends up making a pit stop at the Cracker Barrel. What was once a good idea when the interstate system was young, <laughs> I feel like my dad said that, and goods and services were sparse and often not to be trusted, is now sort of a middle-class hodgepodge of country gravy-covered Americana. Grandmother's curio closet is the theme they are going for, but I don't know about you. My grandmother didn't have a fucking curio closet. If she did, it would have been crammed with peg games and rocking chairs. They can't give those things away. That's why they're hocking them at every turn. So when I got there, the very eager door opener said upon seeing me, is this the sun? <laughs> My mother was somehow in cahoots with her and confirmed Dot's suspicions. Dot was embroidered on her apron. That's how I know her name. She looked too young to be a Dot. In fact, no one should be a Dot. My mom had already hit the clearance rack and had bought a nice top for their upcoming bus trip to God knows where. It was one of the main ensembles at rock bottom prices, all smashed together in the corner of the country store. Jesus, this country store is like something out of Hoarders, isn't it? You can't move an inch without knocking over a sculpture of a frog driving a tractor, the DVD box set of Bonanza, or a rack of t-shirts emblazoned with the warning, put the chocolate in the bag and no one gets hurt. Koi! We were pleased to hear that the Ritz cracker chicken cheese and broccoli dinner was on the bill, because that fits in real well with my Weight Watchers plan. Short of the trout and the grilled chicken, everything on the menu was a nightmare. A salty, tasty nightmare and a minefield of bullshit. Then our really scary, and I mean she had a pathology scary, server descended. Her name was Tracy with an E, and she was crazy intense. Way too intense to be working at the barrel. And then I noticed something. All the servers were working at just about the same intensity. They were really loud and had sort of a strange echolalic cadence in their speech. Tracy scared my mother when she asked at top volume, Are you sure you don't want me to have them put that on the side for you, hun? Just to be safe? Safe? It's a Cajun spice, not hydrochloric acid, Tracy. People tend to get nuts about where they were sitting. Too close to the door. Too close to the kitchen. Too close to the hearth. I'd heard it all. There was a time a while back when the Cracker Barrel was rather unapologetic in not hiring gay people and was all, we don't care if it's discrimination or not, we ain't budging. That was actually their stance. I think there was some racism going on too. Strangely and quite suddenly, that mentality ended. Oh, I do mention this. Um, strangely and quite suddenly, that mentality ended. And then the Cracker Barrel discriminates against black people rumors began. Oi, now a sign put up against their will will no doubt welcomes us all. Black, white, trans, fat, and thin. 
We are all welcome to have their fancy fixins and share in a moon pie while we decide between an apple cider press or a crap load of Coca-Cola memorabilia. We may not be losing weight at Cracker Barrel, but in the end, I think it's pretty clear that we all lose. Oh, this is a good one. Bitch tits. <laughs> oh. For many years, probably the most important and hysterical time of my adult life, I lived with my best friend, Alicia. She was the grace to my will, and we were an awesome team. Still are. Alicia and I were lying on our respective couches one Friday night several years back, probably chain-smoking like chimneys and finishing up some Lenovo subs, and the TV show 2020 came on. Ooh, good. I love me some 2020. The topic, men with breasts. We perked up at that, of course, and watched in horror as these men told their tales. These men had full-on breasts, not just the barrel-chested look of an overweight man that he gets after they cross the threshold into Fatville. We were watching mouths agape as these men revealed giant female breasts under their polo shirts. Um, holy shit. During the commercial, we smoked again in disbelief, and as they returned to the show, harsh and melancholy violin music began as the intro track to part two of the story began. Yup, cue the bitch tit music, Alicia said, very matter-of-factly. Child, I fell out. I know, even though this was years ago, that I rolled off the couch and wet myself laughing. The idea that men with breasts, or bitch tits, as they were so boldly referred to that night, had their own soundtrack of harsh and melancholy violin music was more than I could handle. It was all very minor key. It had a sense of urgency that really could only be accomplished by images of men with actual enormous breasts. We imagined that in the 2020 control room, which is so dramatically exposed in their studio, a very serious producer with a headset firmly gripped into her ears, put her hand up and with great but quiet intensity said, and in three, two, okay, and cue the bitch tit music, we're on. (laughs) Feeling masculine and sexy, hot even, is near impossible when you suddenly start noticing that you have breasts. It creeps up on you. There, be, there may be nothing a man fears more than waking up one day and having man boobs. Bitch tits. Am I getting boobs? This is a question most men really are not jazzed to be asking. And who do you ask for fuck's sake? Your partner? Hot. Your best friend? Yes, they will be honest with you, which also sort of sucks, because if the answer is indeed yes, well, you are pretty much fucked. As heavy as I have been, I have never come close to what Alicia and I saw that fateful night on 2020. Thank you, sweet Jesus. I have, however, become what I can only call chesty, and frankly, that ain't hot, and it really won't do. You try to cover it up literally any way you can. Lots of sweatshirts and jackets, fine for winter, but in Miami in July? You pull and tug at your shirt, stretch it into warped dimensions, all to create a tent-like, no-cling chemise. All that effort, and yet no one is fooled. You got man boobs, buddy. Take a tip from me. Do not type in man boobs and do a Google image search. Spare yourself the pain. You will be mortified, shocked, and sad for humanity. Really, don't do this to yourself. I promise that if you are foolish and do the image search, you will be asking yourself soon. What the fuck happened to Davy Jones? When I wasn't watching and maniacally quoting the Golden Girls, the better part of 1985 and 86, I was spent secretly loving Davy Jones of the Monkees. He was my everything. 
He was gorgeous. I, of course, harbored my love in secret and watched rerun after rerun of the goofy sitcom, just hoping to catch Davy with his shirt off. In my blog, I included a photo of modern-day Davy Jones, God rest his soul, with man boobs. What if I tuned in one day and saw this? There needs to be a bigger font for that question, but blogger doesn't come with a bitch tit font. This leads me back to my original question. What the fuck happened to Davy Jones? Oh, God, it's so sad. And to be honest, it's happening to many, many men. Jack Nicholson, Steve Martin, Harrison Ford. They are all starting to look like aging, topless lesbians. Look, the humiliation gets worse. Have you ever seen a more devastating title for an article? Seriously, hey, hey, it's the man boobs. (laughs) This is actually the title in this Inquirer article of about Davy Jones. Poor Davy Jones. I found two pictures of him where he was actually slowly revealing these to a crowd (laughs) that may very well have paid to see him. What would Marsha Brady think? I'm so afraid of this phenomenon. The concept of men with boobs is just scary. I know that when Seinfeld revealed the bro, or more, more cleverly named the man's ear, it was hysterical. Seeing Kramer try and hook one on to Frank Costanza is great television, but oh, the reality is far less funny. Just recently, I was on the elliptical machine at the gym and was ramping up my pace when I realized that I was, perhaps, bouncing under my shirt a bit. Dem titties! Or a lot. I wish I was wearing a bro just for a minute and, of course, sent under my breath. Cue the bitch tip music. And then I laughed until my sides hurt. I'm just going to pause for a minute. Are you sick of hearing my voice? I, I'm, I personally am sick of hearing my voice. And I've been speaking for 51 minutes. How's your car ride going? You're in the car, right? Maybe you're making dinner and you're at the stove stirring something beautiful. Uh, maybe you are... I don't know, lying in bed, trying to get a good laugh. But anyway, I'm going to keep going. I'm going. I'm going to talk about group home cooking. Group is in parentheses. I learned to cook in a group home. Oh, this is a group home that I worked in. I did not live there. Can you think of a better crew of people to teach me my way around a kitchen than a clan of people with Down syndrome? All on a restricted diet? I almost want to write a book called Everything I Ever Learned, I Learned in a Group Home. I learned to dance. I learned to laugh at myself. I learned that if you wait long enough, you may see someone peeing into a toilet tank while standing on a seat. And I learned to cook. Meanwhile, some of my pals had a yen for eating handfuls of frozen meat and sometimes non-edibles. Once, one resident was found feasting on toothpaste and cigarette butts. But most of the people I had the honor to work with ate actual food. And lots of it. Boy, could they eat. People with developmental disabilities, stereotype here, seem to have one god, soda pop, and sometimes cake. It was really hard to motivate anyone to go out and explore our big, beautiful world unless it was a food-related outing. People would bail on me once I said the fateful words, Oh, by the way, there won't be any food there. No thanks, they would say, while backing away from me slowly. Life is full of little disappointments. Due to this almost insatiable lust for pop, many of my friends were on restricted diets prescribed by a doctor. This, I thought, was a chance for us all to get healthy. We shopped for cookbooks and made index cards with recipes on them. The recipes were accompanied by huge pictures of the steps. It was then that I realized that I don't know jack shit about cooking and that not only were these special recipes good for them, they could also work for me. Some of the mainstays of the group home are artery-clogging doozies. 
Fish sticks were popular right out of the freezer. They made a horrible sound when they hit the cookie sheet. Another terror was the ever-popular tater tot casserole that involved a sheet of ground beef, pounds of cheese, and a can of that nasty condensed cream of mushroom soup. To me, and tater tots, to me, the very act of serving the soup to these people was cause for a quick call to adult protective services. P.S. The Duggars, remember them, have this atrocity in their cookbook. Yes, the Duggars have a cookbook. So, with doctor's orders in hands, we began to eat heart healthy. Who, who, I ask you, wouldn't love that? How about 12 people with developmental disabilities who have been eating sloppy joes for the last 25 years? Yep, they're the ones not exactly over the moon for this idea. They were pissed. Together, we learned to cook. We made salmon and grilled chicken and ate vegetables together. We discovered that Pat, one of the men at the house, hated peas so much he actually toppled the whole fridge with one swoop. I let him know that it was uh, how much I hated beets so I could relate. We sautéed and diced and filleted and spiced. We also loved to watch the cooking shows and the Food Network quickly replaced multiple viewings of the movie Grease as nightly entertainment. Side note. People with developmental disabilities love, love the movie Grease. I know that this sounds like a stereotype, but I don't care. Truer words have never honestly been spoken. Take it away from them and you will turn off a light in their very souls. Play this if you need to get into the group home spirit. Dance, cook something even. Whenever I cook a meal, especially one with multiple directions involving tater tots, I smile and remember myself standing in a crowded group home kitchen. There, it is there that I learned to cook and so much more. This, this is a, looks like a little series I did. It's called Now Eat This. Rocco Despirito, I love you a lot. Men who can cook are sexy. They are easily accessible via cable, and they are easy to have giant crushes on. Even fantastical fake relationships. In my mind, for a while, I was having a short-lived affair with Tyler Florence, back when Food 911 was new on the Food Network. A step up from his kindly How to Boil Water, that show was awesome, and I loved when Tyler would swoop into the kitchens of the ordinary hoi polloi and fix their fucked-up recipes. I used to imagine me deliberately screwing up all sorts of meatloaf and chicken cordon bleu just so he could stand beside me and show me better ways to julienne or a tidier way to wrap meat with a string. I thought, I'll just play really dumb, and the dumber I seem, the more the cute Tyler Florence would help me and maybe even accidentally press against me from behind while we were cooking. Secret kitchen fantasies revealed! Tyler and I broke up soon after he started writing books and selling his own cookware. I had to move on. He had changed, too. I tried Bob Green, who was Oprah's coach for a while, but it never quite clicked for me and him. He sort of had this droid-like quality that I didn't like, and his book and subsequent work subsequent workbook were a bit too commercial for me. Oh, I love to buy the book and the workbook. I do love a workbook. Here's the thing. I always give up and stop writing in the workbook. I have crapped out on some of the best workbooks I could waste my money on. The Biggest Loser, The Beck Diet Solution, Bob Green's Best Life, et al. See you in the garbage. I remember saying that if I had a lot of money, I would hire personal chefs to make my food for me so I could follow the plan and also get to hang out with an attractive personal chef all the time. Well, I'm not rich, but I can afford a cookbook or two. It is almost the same, minus the reality part. So cut to me in love with Rocco Despirito. He is adorable. 
I can even forgive him for his Viennese waltz dance to the tune of What's New Pussycat on Dancing with the Stars. To me, a glitzed-up public waltz to a Tom Jones tune is almost an unforgivable act. So you can now imagine the intensity of my love for Rocco. Knowing that he has uh, the record as the man with the best-selling cookware on QVC can also be ignored when you are that goddamn sexy. In fact, I may even get a Twitter account just so I can receive short, timely messages from Rocco. I'm a sucker for a jazzy line. His new cookbook is like a gift from the universe. Now eat this! Okay, Rocco, I will. I like a forceful sort of dirty pig man command now and then. Leave it to me to turn a 350-calorie cookbook into something nasty, more likely to be found in prison porn than a mango salsa recipe. Recently, he was described in a New York Magazine article about his alpha male pissing contest with financier Jeffrey Chodoro as wearing a tight black t-shirt, hair tussled, muscles bulging. He looks like an angry cherub. Sorry, but how hot is an angry cherub? Hot! Later in the article, he confines that he's upset because a picture of him in his underwear taken while he was on a runway wearing a kilt for a charity event had found its way into the internet. He's upset. I'm scouring the internet like a crazy pervert. A few years back, my Rocco gained 30 pounds and had about 20% body fat, and he realized that there were people out there that could not eat like a Manhattan foodie without packing it on. He saw us out there and wrote this cookbook. He knows where we have been and where we want to go. This new cookbook is all about comfort food, all under 350 calories. Rocco calls them bad boy foods. See, even that is hot. The points are easy to calculate, and Rocco's boyish good looks and aw shucks nature, and I don't care if it's an all, all an act, it works for me, are all over this book. When Rocco says, eat this, this bad boy gets right to it. This one's called Sit and Spin. What to expect from a spinning class? This is something that made me laugh almost immediately when I saw it online recently. I quickly made a list in my head, my own list. Expect to question your own mortality, feel like the lucky Pierre in a gay porn movie, see the light in your eyes die a little, sweat and pant like you are on a chain gang, See the limits of the human spirit tested on a row-by-row basis. What sadistic entity devised those seats, or for that matter, spinning in general? When I read that my fake culinary boyfriend, Rocco Despirito, lost all his weight and got into triathlete shape, really? By a -a six-day-a-week double cardio regimen, I got to thinking... At first, I thought, what the fuck is a six-day cardio regimen other than something that makes me tired just by reading it? Sadly, I do know that tired and sweaty and usually yields results. When I get to the gym at 6.15 a.m., spinning class is just letting out. And boy, are those people sweaty and tired looking like we've been working all night in a gulag at about 100 degrees tired. I, of course, want no part of it. They, of course, are really fit and muscular. What part of a 6.15 a.m. spinning class can I relate to or even accept? Friends, not many parts. Something has to change in the exercise part of my road trip, but is this too drastic? When I joined the Buffalo Athletic Club for the very first time, the assertive lesbian, who I'll call Coach, that signed me up was so ready to make a sale, she conned me into joining her at an 8.15 spinning class that next Sunday morning. Sunday? The Lord's Day? And at that hour? 
Wanting not to look like a total chump and also not let Coach down, I told her yes. She laid it on thick about having a bud- how having a buddy to work out with was a great motivator. They love that line and all that crapola. I was younger then and more vulnerable, so I fell for it. Coach had me showed. I showed up at 8 a.m. and guess what? Coach blew me off. Thanks for the motivation, fella. Not knowing what spinning was, I imagined an adult version of a child sit and spin. The fun. We would all just spin about wildly, like whirling dervishes. There would be a laughter and knowing glances while we all relived our childhoods while working on our abs, too. Nope. The spinning room at the BAC is cavernous and really, really dark, like a scary and sweaty haunted house. There's a huge screen that plays different your-point-of-view terrains like Appalachian Trail and Rocky Mountain Trail. Lots of trails. All trails let me to the feeling that I was doomed and the class had not started. A hot guy named Mark was our instructor, and the other people in the class had evidently been doing this for a long time. They knew the drill. I hate coach! She led me astray. When the madness started and Hot Mark began calling out intensity levels, I just played along for as long as I could stand it. This, of course, was not very long. Lucky for me, the darkness hid my look of abject terror and profound confusion. Out of breath and wishing I was never born, I decided that a quick sit-down was in order. Um, I want to desperately compare what sitting down on a spinning cycle was like, using a sort of gay rite of passage analogy, but it might offend the more delicate reader. Let's just say that you don't walk right for a while, and you feel like, just for a while, you were somebody's bitch. Up and off the seat again, I tried to finish the class, but let the darkness be my ally and got the fuck out of there. People swear by spinning. They seem addicted and say things like, the pounds just melt off of you. This is what I want. Can I do it? When I think about the possibility of getting up at 5.30 a fucking morning to make the first class, the only thing spinning is my head. All right, this one might be a little controversial, but I'm just going to I'm going to go for it here. So you've all seen that like sexiest man alive on People magazine. Uh, To be one, you have to have those muscles that lead to your goodies. My best friend Alicia used to lovingly refer to them as your penis muscles. Well said. Recently, pictures of Zac Efron and even Glee's Matthew Morrison have appeared in the rags. And I've been all damn, baby. Did you see that? Look, he's got that penis muscle. So exciting, right? I don't think I have one. Some men got it. Some men don't. It actually does have a name. It's the Iliac Furrow, also known as Adonis or Apollo's belt. Way classier than cum gutters. (laughs) Who thinks of this shit? Apparently, it is all over art history books and is even known in some naughtier circles as the devil's shoulders. Ah, the wonders of the human body. As you know, some of the shit I see at the gym in the morning defies all reason. Something I saw this morning, however, reminded me of something that happened to me when I first started working in a group home for people with Down syndrome. As a direct support staff, you have to pass a variety of medications to folks, from vitamins to antipsychotics. The training is brief but concise, but nothing can prepare a person for some of the shit they see on the job. When I first met the people I was there to teach and support, I fell head over heels in love with them. One of my very favorite guys there was a 40-year-old man with Down syndrome. Well, let's just call him Chip. Chip was about four feet tall and almost as wide. He was lovable and often reminded us that he was the sheriff of the group home and often would point to a giant badge that he would wear. 
Why, it said Sheriff right on it. And he used to holler, Sheriff! Out proudly, too. So there you go. When I would give the folks their meds, they were mostly pills and one inhaler. There were 12 people that lived there, and some weren't on meds at all. When I got to Chip's list of meds, I noticed that he was on a whole mess of vitamins, and then, well, I learned about part of the human form that saved itself for the right time and place, I guess. The instruction read, Apply tolnoftate powder PRN to lower paniculus, panis in parenthesis, for rash. Okay, um, I knew what PRN meant, meant as needed. Lower, check. What in the fuck was a paniculus? I couldn't ask Chip in all his childlike wonder, but he held the key to this whole mystery, and I was the only staff on. Thanks, everyone. Now, I have a human body and know a bit about anatomy, but seriously, where in the hell was my panis? I had ideas, <laughs> but could not be sure. How did I go through my entire life without ever hearing that word? So there I am in the medroom, and I say, Okay, Chip, about the powder. He sang out, Sheriff! I knew I was screwed. I took the powder from the med cabinet and showed it to him. He said with a, with a grin, Ah, from my boo-boo, and proceeded to drop trowel. Chip's stomach literally hung to the floor. Behold, the mighty pendulous panis! I tried very hard not to look like I had seen an honest-to-goodness ghost, but could only keep repeating, um, um, me, he cried out and lifted his truly gigantic stomach up and over, revealing what appeared to be a rash and, can I say, no penis of any kind. The symphony of awkward ums continued. I realized that the hanging skin was the panis and that I was viewing something miraculous and strange. I put on some gloves and got down to panis level and put the powder on uh, Chip's boo-boo. While I was all up in there, I desperately scanned the area looking for his cookies, as the girls would so tactfully say at work. Uh, I couldn't find anything. Panis down, pants up. Ten hugs later, I called my manager. Hey, does Chip have a penis? Laughing, she said, oh, did we not tell you? Chip has what is medically known as a micropenis. Lots of guys with Downs are underdeveloped like that. Good night. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget to go fuck yourself. Ha ha ha. HIPAA laws forbade me from telling my best friend or family what had, I had been through that night, but I did manage to ask in a pleading tone, any of y'all ever heard of a panis? No one had, but they sure did learn. As the years passed, Chip and I developed a sort of system of checks and nods to communicate whether his precarious PRN was needed. Boo-boo, I would ask. I'm fine! Or a blissful, ah, to indicate how soothing the talc felt for him were all he needed to say. I love Chip, and I miss him very much. Chip passed away. Recently, I saw a picture of Mike the Situation Sorrentino revealing his now remarkable abs with a group of old Altacacus in South Beach. Their bodies were misshapen and, and sad and were placed in the shot for ironic purposes. The situation never looked so smoking hot, he said to himself, I'm sure. What a humiliating situation for all involved. This guy is a douchebag royale. I would powder a million panicula, word, first before I would spend even five minutes with Mike the Situation Sorrentino. What does that say about me or him? Like I said, some men got it and some men don't. And that's the situation. So it was at this time in my uh, journey, 
my road trip that uh, my beautiful, wonderful sister friend, Abby, convinced me to uh, try cardio boxing with her at a local uh, cardio boxing gym, uh, Casey's Fitness. It started what was a two or three year run of me really working out and loving my exercise. As my mother would say, find your exercise. I found it. Um, I went to the class and um, it was incredible. And this is called Saved by the Bell. In my 39 years, my name has never, ever been followed so gloriously by the word speed bag, or for that matter, surrounded by the nouns rope, mitts, or the energetic verb kicks. Well, all that has changed. I have to tell you this now, you see, before I literally pass out from exhaustion. Tonight, my friend and coach Abby got me to her gym for a cardio boxing class at Casey's Fitness. I fucking loved it. Please know that for me to use the word love when it comes to any exercise, it has to be genuine and come from the heart. I smell like an old sneaker. I am so sweaty I had to wipe the seat of my car with an armorall wipe lest it leave a salt stain. My hands are still trembling, mostly my fingers. It's fun to watch, actually, and I could barely get up out of my chair, and I don't care. I love it, and I loved every minute of this class. The people at Casey's Fitness were so incredibly nice. The people in the groups that did the 45-minute rotation, and yes, I was somehow one of the stops on that rotation, were kind and smiling and really helpful. It was funny to hear them say things like, who's got Sean, or I call Sean first. (laughs) Oh, if someone wants to start with you, tell them I called you. I proudly told one woman on the rotation, sorry, I'm taken. They all introduced themselves and gave me words of encouragement and advice. I loved them. Am I at a gym? See, some of my first blog entries to recall how I feel about talking to people in a gym. The funniest thing that was said to me was this guy who let me know to relax, followed by, dude, your arm is so tense that when you do your hook, your elbow is so high, you look uncomfortable. I sort of feel sorry for you. His last thought had sort of a nice brotherly frowny face attached to it that made me like him and then laughed, telling him that I was just about it was just about the best thing I ever heard. The hour went by fast and ready. I didn't want it to end. I really didn't. I was all, oh, no way. The room was about 400 degrees and smelled like a crotch. I didn't care. The people were dripping with sweat. And finally, so was I. No problem. I was working for it. For once on this road trip, I could feel it. I punched away 39 years of shitty fat jokes and being rejected by guys because I had a great personality but was, well, not hot. I gave all the kids who called me fag all through grade school a hard uppercut. There was no shortage of imagery. My struggle and hurt and rejection was in every punch. Jab, cross punch, hook. I planned to go again Thursday. I think I have literally been saved by the bell. Uh, Asterisk. I will search for the alien pod that very possibly may have taken over my body and replaced me with a person who loved an exercise class. But for now, I'm about to fall out, child. I guess this is part two of the Rocco, my love affair with Rocco Despirito. Breaking up is hard to do. Relationships are built on trust and honesty. Relationships are built on great expectations and time spent nurturing with a bit of hard work. I am not totally breaking up with Rocco Despirito, but I am goddamn pissed and I am seriously not sure if we can get through this. Yesterday, 
The 4th of July is a sick nightmare for people who are trying to get fit and stay on track. It rains macaroni salad and there are pitfalls of quicksand made of chicken wing dip around every corner. I'd feel safer with an M80 in my hand than I do hovering over a star-spangled dessert table at an Independence Day picnic. As the day approaches, I start getting nervous to try a game plan and get it going on. A game plan. How not fun and spontaneous does that sound when said in reference to a fucking picnic? Then it hit me. Rocco. My fake boyfriend could help me get through it, and I could arrive armed with my very own low-calorie brownies. With only 53 calories and just 1.6 grams of fat per fluffy, delicious, cakey brownie, I could eat the whole pan and just rack up about six Weight Watchers points. See, Being in a relationship with Rocco Despirito brings comfort and empowers you, even at picnics. Upon further reading, it seems that black beans were the main ingredient here, with egg substitutes and Splenda bringing up the rear. It's okay, Rocco. I trust you, babe. The promise and hope of success was sweet and palpable in the summer heat as I cranked up the oven in July to 450. See, that's what love is. Give and take. Give me a brownie that has a 0.5 point value and I will literally sweat my balls off in a hot kitchen in return. After throwing all of this crap into the food processor, I began to doubt things. I can only liken it to when the guy you really like doesn't return your calls or you see him trolling around online. You hope that it isn't true, but you begin to sense something is very, very wrong. I tasted the batter and though bitter... All it took was one more look at the cookbook to re-examine the carefully placed mega crusty brownies all studio photoshopped onto a mod urban kitchen table. Life with Rocco is hip and cool and as comforting as a carefully placed glass of milk. Batter poured into the pan and into the oven. That sinking feeling mixed with my cockeyed optimism started to take over. I needed these fucking things to turn out so I could cling to them like my very own blankie and walk in on the arm of a low-calorie dessert that would save me from the actual baked goods that were lurking. Fifteen minutes in, you are supposed to turn them. (laughs) And when I reached into the inferno to do just that and saw what was happening in the pan, I said, Ah, shit. In that tone you use when you expected something to go terribly wrong, and it does. Still giving the brownies and Rocco the benefit of the doubt, I thought that maybe the next 10 minutes in the oven would turn the ossified crackled brown mass into the moist, delicious brownies in the photo. So I included a photo of my brownies and then Rocco's carefully uh, placed brownies that were clearly set up by a food stylist. Please note the differences. Please realize that I was deceived. Note how these brownies broke the pan Imagine me now screaming, what the fuck, in my sweltering kitchen. Can you just hear it? I almost imagining Rocco himself could hear it, wherever he may have been. I hope he got itchy, or that his legs seized up or something. I cannot say I wasn't warned. My friend Janelle had tried to make them once and didn't bring them over, saying that they were not fit for eating. (laughs) When people are warned by wise friends about shitty boyfriends, they rarely, if ever, listen. Apparently, brownie warnings are the same. I even called her to ask what had gone wrong when she tried to make them. She asked, um, how far into the recipe are you? Did you start yet? Oh, shit. I went ahead anyway, like a dumbass. I present these photos to you almost as if they were autopsy photos or some sort of forensic evidence. 
behold the thin film of nasty that covers the chalky bland one centimeter of brownie. Oh, and they tasted like absolute shit, and I threw them in the garbage. Come on now. What were the brownies in the pitcher made from? Not fucking black beans, I assure you. So I come to you today hurt and disappointed. I actually walked these brownies through my future with thoughts like, if these rock, I can make them for every event I attend and have them as my go-to dessert. I thanked Rocco in advance for giving me this gift. I believed in him and these wonder brownies. Well, go fuck yourself, Rocco Despirito. I think it is the end. Oh, this is another good one. The... (laughs) The Beard of Our Lord. Have you ever met an ear of corn you didn't like? Better yet, have you ever met a stuffed toy ear of corn possessing the beard of our Lord? Bet you haven't. Whenever I think about my career in developmental disabilities, I remember one or two quotes that still make me laugh my ass off. Even though it has been years, this story came to mind when I realized that most recreation or socializing revolves around food. Going out to eat or meeting up at a food destination fills my calendar fast, and even when we get together at our house, we manage to buy snacks or treats. People coming over also bring snacks. Sometimes whole cakes have arrived on our doorstep with no warning, seriously. So there is no escape. Even in planning this upcoming week, most of the things we do are restaurant or snack infused. The thing is, there aren't many non-food related outings out there, especially in Buffalo, New York. I'm feeling sort of fucked. Non-food-related outings were something we tried very hard to plan for the folks living at the group home. In a land where pop is the god, it's tough to get buy-in when there's not a bubbly can awaiting for you. Lately, I feel like I myself need to find non-food-related outings so I can stay on my road trip without spinning out and crashing into a ravine. So many metaphors. I remember when we used to plan outings in the community with the people living in the group home. We would announce the choices carefully and ask for a show of hands. Who would be interested? Bowling. Indoor walleye fishing. Ice cream social. Watching their faces was sort of amazing because you could see the process going something like bowling equals pizza, pop, and a cookie. Walleye fishing, which, by the way, had to be seen to be believed, equals hot dog chips and a pop. They would raise their hands after careful decision and get their chops ready for some delicious eats. The mothership of all DD eating frenzies is the Erie County Fair. This food fest came complete with Chevetta's chicken and the beloved funnel cakes. These guys would perseverate for a while, really about the whole year, chanting, fair, fair. It was awesome in the truest sense of the word to see them line up for the ultimate in cheese fries and corn dogs. Simply awesome. Soon I realized that they might feel deceived when they got to some of our destinations and realized that not all outings end in the pot of gold that is cheese pizza. So I used to tell them, little hands raised, there will be no food served there. I said it in a flat, emotionless tone. Oh, so I guess I said it. There will be no food served there. My other tone had emotion. Uh, As not to alarm them or seem cruel. Watching their arms plop down as this news arrived was heartbreaking, but I knew that getting them to the bookstore or the theater for a play under the pretense of popcorn or fried dough was, well, just wrong and possibly abusive. There will be no food served there. Cuts like a knife, no? The Eden Corn Fest went terribly wrong one year when everyone realized it was pretty much just corn. Oh, the looks I got. 
Their paralinguistics clearly conveyed fuck corn in their own special way. The only victory was when Jenny, a woman in her 50s with cognitive delays, with a dash of schizophrenia, found a little treat. It came in the form of a giant, smiling, stuffed ear of corn. The kind with legs and a far-off gaze. These behemoth prizes scare me, but for Jenny, there was something more. She calmly told me when we arrived back at the home that the simple corn cob had the beard of our Lord. Huh? She said, uh, you know, this ear of corn is different due to the fact that it has the beard of our Lord. <laughs> this plush carnival corn in the cob had neither a beard nor that of our very own Lord. Not like I needed to tell you that. Ah, what will the duly diagnosed think of next? The beard of our Lord. That phrase was clearly so off the charts and brilliant that it stuck with me for the last 12 years. Thanks, Jenny. We were encouraged to plan more outings that had nothing to do with food for our friends that lived in the residence. But seriously, who wanted to go? I could relate to their plight. Short of discovering the beard of our Lord on an ear of corn, nothing really thrills me about the non-food related outings either. And they are few and far between. This is fest season in western New York, after all. Canal fest, Italian fest, they all turn into a binge fest that give me a ton of anxiety. Fest foods have points values nearly impossible to calculate. Excuse me now while I try and make a list of outings I can attend in the community this summer that are non-food related. See the list below. There's nothing on the list. See you there! All right. Did you go to a rest stop? Where are you headed? Are you headed to California? Um, or maybe you just headed to work. You're going to listen to just one of these. This is a good one. Uh, although I am really getting tired of hearing my own voice. I may not speak tonight at all to my husband or children because of this. Um, this one's called Full Catastrophe Living. Think about the amount of time we spend holding on to the past. It's almost as much time as we spend thinking about the future. When it comes to how I look and losing weight I want to lose, I find myself dwelling either in a far-off land called When I Was Thin Village or dream like When I Am Thin Town. In either place, the present falls to the background. It's like getting in the way of my reverie. How rude! I have been doing some work, as they say in therapy, and focusing on being very mindful. Um, it's hard. Mindfulness is as old as Buddha himself, but really got cooking again in the 1970s. Basically, the concept is to be non-judgmental and to have present-centered awareness. This is, each thought, feeling, or sensation that comes up is acknowledged and accepted as it is. That last one's a real killer. Things being accepted as they are has never been my forte, to be honest. This is never more true than when I am dealing with accepting myself. I know I'm not alone. I've been reading a big old book by John Kabat-Zinn called Full Catastrophe Living. The odd title comes from a line in Zorba the Greek in which Zorba refers to the ups and downs of family life as the full catastrophe. It has provided me with a much-needed kick in the ass. When I think about all the times I waste not being in the present, ruminating over past or worrying about the future, it overwhelms me. It's like I'm missing the best parts of my life. We all do it. If you pay attention for just one hour on how not present you really are, you will freak yourself the fuck out. I promise you. While I was reading the other night, the last thing I thought I would come across was a weight-related antidote. antidote. Then I came across this. Acceptance is seeing things as they actually are in the present. 
If you have a headache, accept that you have a headache. If you are overweight, why not accept it as a description of your body at this time? What? He continues, sooner or later, we have to come to terms with things as they are and accept them. If you are overweight and feel bad about your body, it's no good to wait until you are the weight you think you should be before you start liking your body and yourself. At a certain point, if you don't want to remain stuck in a frustrating, vicious cycle, you might realize that it's all right to love yourself at the weight that you are now because it's the only time you can love yourself now. Remember that now is the only time you have for anything. You have to accept yourself as you are before you can really change. Huh? The zany Kabat-Zinn concludes that when you start thinking this way, losing weight becomes less important. It also becomes a lot easier. By intentionally cultivating acceptance, you are creating the preconditions for healing. Well, I'll be damned. This came at about the same time I read a really scathing piece on my beloved Jezebel.com. It was in response to the new Weight Watchers ad where spokesperson Jennifer Hudson states that before Weight Watchers, my whole life was can't. The angry writer goes on to criticize Hudson because she reads it as if she was saying that none of her amazing pre-Weight Watchers accomplishments count because she was not thin. She misses the point there, but in the midst of her judgmental rambling, she makes a good point. Here it is. Your life does not start 10, 20, or 50 pounds from now. Your life has already started. You will never get this time back, this day, this moment, this week. They are all gone. If you want to waste the time you have left waiting to be smaller, that's your option. But if that's how you've been living, aren't you tired of that? You do have a choice, a choice nobody can ever take away from you. You can live an amazing life right now. Don't get me wrong. I will be thin when I turn 40. I will be off my blood pressure and cholesterol meds and be able to sleep without a CPAP machine strapped to my face. I will wear clothes that are tailored and well-fit. I will shave off the beard I hide behind and cut my hair short. I will have made it to my destination. What I won't do is wait until I get there to start living. Being present in my own reality and accepting who I am right now won't be easy. But I will do that too. Here's the classic eating erasers and chewing up pencils. Here's a letter dated December 13th, 1977. Dear Mrs. Doyle, Mrs. Oliver Batum, Sean has been eating erasers and chewing up pencils for quite a while now, but this week has been really bad. The pencils he borrows to use never look the same. Erasers bitten off and pencils cracked and chewed down. This habit of his is very annoying and disturbing not only to myself, but to the other children. It's also not very healthy. When I bring this to his attention, he will remove the eraser from his mouth and laughs when I show him the pencil. This is part of the pencil he chewed today. Please talk to him about this matter because I am not getting through to him. I would appreciate it. Whenever I call this to his attention, he laughs and shrugs a shoulder at me. His behavior mark has gone down this semester. Thank you, Sister Kenneth Marie. Yep, cut to me in 1977, eating pencils. Eating pencils and shrugging my shoulder at a nun. When I think of the man I am today and some of the fucked up eating habits I have, <laughs> I need not look further than this messed up letter from my second grade teacher to my mom. Thank Christ my mother had the foresight to save these letters as sort of a written testament to how desperate I was to seek comfort in really anything for nine arduous years. 
In this case, it was pencils, and this doozy of a letter came home in an envelope with actual half-eaten pencils for my proud parents to feast their eyes on. They must have been so proud. I went to St. Amelia's Elementary School in the 70s and 80s and can pin most of my self-esteem issues, depression, and twisted self-image on any bulletin board in that godforsaken place. I lived in a mortal state of fear for my whole stay, and carrying a letter like this one in my book bag made my walk home just about as jaunty as a trip to death row. The nuns that inhabited the school would now most definitely be institutionalized or in jail. Nuns with men's names and warts on their tongues are perfect for either setting. As a little boy who dreamed of just boogieing on the disco round, having to stare into the faces of these mummified, horrifying Slavic women really brought me down. They're lucky all I ate was pencils. The renegade nuns that were under the age of 35 were few, but these brides of Christ gave me some hope. They wore hip, knee-length habits and had cream-colored tunics just for summer. Progressive. Unfortunately, I was not one of the popular kids. Lost in a sea of blue and plaid polyester uniforms, I used comic timing as, and as much wit as a tiny eight-year-old could muster to try and belong. I truly think that this is where my sense of humor had its inception, and for that I will always be grateful. In hallways covered with paper Santas that smelled like the sweet sawdust the janitor used to clean up when a kid barfed, I started to become the man I am today. It all came crashing down when we all started to hit puberty. This is where I learned that the good-looking kids would go far, while the plain and ordinary would sink to the bottom of the gene pool. This was the, a perfect time to stuff me into a powder blue tuxedo and force me onto a stage. What the fuck, Mom? I shucked the pencil eating for the more permanent habit of eating my feelings. That one was a keeper. Oh, God, did I want to die. Seriously. We had sex ed taught to us by a hot, recently ordained priest named Father Joe. Father Joe made me want to shoot myself as he stirred feelings in me that made me so nervous I could have eaten a thousand pencils and still have begged for more. At least I wasn't the dumbest of the bunch. One girl asked him, if I cross my legs, will I crush my ovaries? It was all uphill after that. Wowing my classmates with my panoramas and salt maps in science class didn't work. Playing the piano in the school play stuffed into that powder blue tuxedo didn't win me any awards either. I was one of the two or three boys in the class every year branded as a big gay loser. The title stuck and made getting up for school every day an experiment in terror. Gym class was what almost ended it for me. Always the last to be picked, or among the last, I had a history of throwing the basketball into my own team's basket and falling on my ass when I kicked the kickball with too much gusto. These tricks were shameful enough, but being in love with my gym teacher was a cross too tough to bear. He made Father Joe look like Quasimodo. Mr. Fred Wozniak was his name, and he was a sexy, sexy man. He was tan and hairy and looked like he was always out doing some hard labor right before he started class. In retrospect, he sort of looked like one of those Castro Street clones from the late 70s. You know the kind with the floating, uh, free-floating mustaches? When I was in gym class, I could not breathe. The fact that I was in love with my gym teacher and had a crush on almost every boy in my class was not winning me any popularity contests. When we would divide into shirts and skins, I was always somewhere between being in my very own porn movie and my very own nightmare. I have been out of grade school for 25 years. P.S. 35 now. There are some scars that have healed, some that you can only see if you look really closely, and some that are right there on the surface. Some of the best parts of me, the quick, benevolent, resilient, compassionate parts, all started there at St. Amelia's. 
I would not trade it in for, well, all the standard-issue pencils a man could possibly eat. Cookbook whore! This weekend I walked into Penzi Spices and screamed, I'm a whore! <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly how it went, but close. Remember, there are all sorts of whores. Salon whores, shoe whores, regular whores. Let me explain. I am super excited about Penzi Spices being in my own hometown. I never knew! It's a spice whore's dream, but I'm no spice whore. Mint, Italian, herbs, spices for grilling, and spices just for apple pie. It's high-end, and the store is set up in a way that makes a person consider becoming a spice whore. While in the curry aisle, exclamation point, I noticed little recipe cards that you could tear away and take home for free. Ooh, Carol's Curry Chicken, whatchamacallit, I exclaimed in sort of a panic as I tore it from the display. Almost a second later, I cried out, Look! Penzi's has a cookbook! This is where an intervention had to occur. Be glad that my friend Katie is a trained psychologist and put things directly into perspective for me. Honey, didn't you just tell me today that you have a problem with cookbooks and never use any of the ones you have in your kitchen? Oh, God! I'm like a cookbook hoarder! I'm a cookbook whore! This I yelled out into the middle of the store, and a woman right near me laughed and said, <laughs> Sounds like me! One more whore and we could have opened a brothel. So there, now I've said it. I have a big problem buying cookbooks that I never, ever use. It's disgusting. I refuse to count them. It's embarrassing. They are beautiful to look at, and some are really very funny. The Momofuku, yeah, I said it, cookbook is really, really well written. It actually made me laugh out loud. The Dean and DeLuca cookbook? An education. I'll be damned if I've cooked one bloody thing from either. During my Julie and Julia phase, yes, I said that too, I had to go right out and get the formidable Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Honey, that shit wasn't cheap, and that cookbook has been sitting here for three years. The Balthazar cookbook was once in its place. That had been relegated to the baker's rack. Now, Balthazar and his friends, the Silver Spoon cookbook and the Magnolia Bakery triplet set of cookbooks just lay in wait for an opportunity to be opened. I don't honestly even remember buying the third one. I must have blacked out. That's what whores do to bury their shame. To keep us healthy, I bought the American Heart Association cookbook. Heart healthy, my ass. We're as good as dead. There it sits, all dusty, mocking me and my heart. So Penzi's triggered some sort of crazy talk, babbling even. Katie had to literally counsel some sense into me to get me to stop. Maybe if I start with the spices, it will make me want to cook more. Just having fennel or dillweed in the house could propel me into a life of culinary feasts. Or it could get me to open a goddamn cookbook. Honey, listen to yourself, Katie said. I fled the store humiliated, my ill repute obvious to everyone in Penzi's. I found a book called 1080 Spanish Recipes, or Zero. That book makes me wild. I wanted it so bad that every time I'm at the bookstore, I stare it down. 1080 Recipes, huh? It may as well be called One Spanish Recipe, or better yet, No Spanish Recipes, because that's precisely how many I would like to make. Oh my god, this one, the silver spoon. This one I love, the font, and I'm half Sicilian, so... La Cucina is Italian for cookbook whore. This India cookbook comes in its very own authentic burlap sack. Don't try to seduce me with clever packaging and color graphics. 
Like any whore, I'm a sucker for good looks, and this sends me over the edge. So there you have it. I'm a cookbook whore. Someday I will start actually cooking out of these cookbooks and will be able to put the life behind me. Until then, you can find me trolling around Pensies doing unspeakable things for a mere pinch of herbs de Provence. Don't judge. Hey, Yang. So I've been doing this for almost two hours. I don't want to ever hear myself talk again. I can't do it. I can't read them all. So I'm going to do a couple more, which will bring us to about a two hour podcast. And then I really I'm going to ask you to write comments like I really enjoyed this. I love hearing you read or man, do you have a nasal Western New York voice that I can't stand hearing? Shut the fuck up. So one or the other, but I'm going to do a few more. Count your blessings, honey. Every once in a while, my mother will waste money on a stamp and send me a particularly horrifying newspaper clipping with some insightful comment handwritten in the blank spaces. What makes her think of me and then that I would somehow like to have this article for myself? Things like girl with face shot off, still optimistic with my mother's perfect Catholic school cursive reminding me, count your blessings. Be glad you're not that poor girl, right? Got it, mom. See, she's optimistic. The best one she ever sent was this one. 700 pound man takes rare outing. In the space right next to the article, my mother wrote simply, how sad. Now, what particular message was she trying to get across? It came tucked perfectly in an Easter card, I believe. Incongruous and strange. I called her and was all, what the fuck, mom? I thought you'd like it, she said. Really? Because I don't. Well, honey, post that on your fridge and look at it every day. It will remind you to count your blessings. Be glad that at least I don't need to be taken by forklift to get out of my house is a point that I have passed on this road trip. Passed it. I used to compare myself to people worse off than me all the time. Now, I only do it a little bit. I would be lying if I said I still didn't think about the sad and the optimistic every once in a while. Nowadays, I only have to look to myself to see where my blessings dwell. I am so grateful that this Thanksgiving, almost none of my old monologue seems to be playing on a loop like it has every year. Since I can remember. Here's the monologue. Don't eat until you black out, Sean. Wear your eating pants. By the way, I'll tell you what those are in a minute. You'll hurt people's feelings if you don't try everything. Don't fuck this up. You always feel bad and tired every Thanksgiving. If you bust a gut tonight, you'll have undone all your hard work. All of it! You may never eat again, so you better eat as much as you can and as fast as you can. Agita to follow. Does everybody know what agita is? Agita is an Italian word for when you burp, but a little bit of throw up comes up. (laughs) Agita. I remember all of this well, but none of it is haunting me. I'm not thinking any of these things. Oh, this was a Thanksgiving post. Count your blessings. Got it. Honey, I am simply counting my blessings. Rather than the mere fact that I did not shoot off my face or have to have a wall removed to get out of the house, I am instead counting all the miles of this road trip. Over these miles, I have realized that who I am is not what I weigh. That one night is not going to bring the whole trip to a halt and that people I discover along the way mean more to me than the number of pounds that I lose. Aww. The person I was least prepared to meet on this road trip was me. That I managed to discover myself was a blessing that I didn't see coming. And for that, I am profoundly grateful. So I'll define Eaton pants. Noun, beltless elastic waist or drawstring pants that let the whole world know that you have given up on life. These pants expand as you expand and allow you to belly up to the trough with wild abandon. 
Eaton pants work well on major holidays where people often consume their weight in gravy and pie. These pants spell the beginning of the end and require immediate intervention. We all have a pair, right? Okay. I hope your your uh, your day, your drive, your lay down, your cooking, wherever you're listening to me is going well. I'm going to wrap up this particular. This is a box set. Remember, it's a box set of uh, Babe um, with me on me on a diet highlights. And this one is called La Ventura. Uh, so this is in quotes. Please tell me that I've been a bad boy while you tell me to move my hips faster. Please. Pornography, a scene from a gay prison film. Why no? It's Sebastiano's Muay Thai class, and I'm here to tell you I have been a bad boy. Tell me again! Every once in a while, there is a man named Sebastiano in my boxing class. He has remained a mystery until now. He is dark and very confident. He has an accent that could melt galvanized steel, and his machismo is thick and unabashed. Needless to say, I cannot box near him. It's way too distracting. In fact, I have clocked people right in the head and taken a few punches too when my eyes start to wander over to where Sebastiano is undoubtedly either A, lifting up his shirt almost on cue, or B, being all Mediterranean near the lockers. In one class, he was in my group. And the person holding the focus mitts was not keeping up. So Sebastiano tried to get this woman motivated by saying things like, Ooh, you are a bad girl. You are so bad. You can take it, you bad girl. This strange combination of I'm laughing at what you're saying and I'm so turned on I may faint came over me and I started to giggle. Giggle and then fear that he would start saying something like that to me if I were holding the mitts. Following that, hoping he would say that to me while I'm holding the mitts. Please, dear Lord, let this round end before the sexy talk turns my way. The bell rang. It ended, and I continued to giggle. This was too rich. Sebastiano had become less of a regular in the classes I go to, gone but not forgotten. So last week, Abby had me check out a flyer on the mirror of the gym. Muay Thai, Monday at 7.15. Instructor, Sebastiano. Could this be an hour of pure testosterone-driven, I mean, Eastern kickboxing? Why, that has me written all over it. Soon after I saw the flyer, Sebastiano came into the gym at about the same time our class was ending, and Abby shouts out, Sean and I are thinking of coming to your class, right, Sean? Thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, yep. (laughs) Sure. Shit. Please know that I am writing with great restraint. To describe the class and not sound like an absolute pig is a tremendous feat. Me on a diet, extreme wordsmith edition. Muay Thai is an intense combination of punches and kicks. All of it comes with all your might from your hips. Known as the art of eight limbs, it gives your elbows and knees a chance to kick some serious ass. It's Eastern and it's Sebastiano. Let's get started. This class was really, really involved for me. Very difficult. There were a few occasions that I said things like, I feel like I'm in some sort of prison work camp. And in the case where I was doing push-ups with a new partner for every round, balancing our hands on the same wobbly medicine ball, I blurted out, I apologize in advance for the push-ups I am about to do. Focus on yourself. Don't look at me. We did things like widen our hips. And at one point, Sebastiano told us to write our names with our hips. His demo had all the passion and smolder of a Bernardo Bertolucci film. He joked that his hip movements were more complex. His name is Sebastiano, after all. (laughs) Imagine the amount of thrusting it takes to spell that out in hip thrusts. 
Sean seems a bit clunky and anticlimactic in comparison. The big payoff came when we were partnered up and kicking big arm pads that our mate was holding. My kicks, surprise, are weak. And when Sebastiano caught me flailing, he said, Come on, you can do it harder than that. He, had been a, he has been a very bad boy. Kick it. Push it with your hips. He has been so bad. Give it to him. <laughs> I know that I blacked out for a minute as the sexy taco meter was off the chart. Will I be the next bad boy? Please, can it be me? The class went on round after round with the combination of hysterics, arousal, and exhaustion warring inside of me. We kicked and elbowed and pushed and kneed ourselves into a stupor for one long-ass hour. When he came up to me to tell me I needed to pivot more on my toe, I came back at him with, Where are you from, Sebastiano? Italy. Milan. God save me. Losing my mind for just a moment, I screamed across the room to Abby, Italy! I was right, Abby! So embarrassing. Then I came to and was face-to-face with Sebastiano again. Cool! That's what I said in return. Put a bullet in me, someone. Cool? Oh, brother. Between the accent and the hips spelling out his name and the appello italiani, it was almost more than I could take. I was never so intense, though, and my inner monologue was saying, never again, never again, never again. When he asked if he could see me next week, I squeaked, of course, without hesitation. Clearly, I was not thinking with my brain. Something else was doing the talk, and at this point, wink. As I write this, I can barely move. Every muscle in my body is all crippled up, and it hurts just sitting. And I don't care. It was so funny, so incredibly surreal that it's worth doing again. Oh, and it was an amazing workout, too. It was new and challenging and exciting. It was all worth just fodder for this blog. It was an adventure. L'aventura. In road trip terms, my car made a quick, quick trip to Milan, and now the windows are all fogged up. Ciao! Here's a quote from Sophia Loren. <laughs> Sex appeal is 50% what you've got and 50% what people think you've got. God, that's a good quote. I'm going to leave it at that. Oh, my God. That one. Oh, Sebastiano. I still see him on occasion. And man, have I been a bad boy? (laughs) So fucking crazy. Oh, man. Okay, so I hope you are at your destination. And uh, I am going to uh, publish this, this this long ass podcast and uh, then see what people think. Because I would love to do another one if if you like this format. But you have to respond in the comments that you like it. Or you could be honest, like, hate your voice, too long, you're not funny. I don't know, something. But uh, I really enjoyed doing this. It was a time in my life, uh, my early 40s, where I was uh, childless. I was unmarried, but I was with uh, Eric, babe, and uh, really focused on myself. I am uh, going to be 50 right? In about a year and a couple months. And maybe I'll do another fucking road trip. You never know. Maybe you'll want to come along too. La Ventura. See you later, everybody. Bye.